Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte Crave and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. And we are winding down our Science in the Bible series. We only got maybe one or two more episodes to go. And this week we're looking at nutrition. This is probably the longest episode we've recorded. And this is with Michael trying to shave it down a little bit just so we could get it down to a reasonable time. So there's a lot, a lot in here. Before we get into it, I'm going to do one more plug for our marine biology program going out this spring. If you'd like to find out more information about our marine biology program and this amazing nine-day research lab marine biology experience, you can go visit our website at evidenceforfaith.org slash 2022 marine biology or click on our events tab. As always, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast and keep it free, you can donate at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. Without further ado, here is Michael in our biggest episode of the year so far, Nutrition. Hi, and welcome back to Evidence for Faith, and as we continue our series that we've been doing on science in the Bible. And if you've been following our series, this is where a lot of people have said over the past, critics uh, and skeptics of the Bible, that science has disproved the Bible. Well, as we're going to see in this, this lesson today, nothing can be further from the truth, because science actually helps prove that the Bible is really special that it's supernatural as we look at nutrition. Now, in the last lesson that we did, the one on medicine, uh, I spoke on uh, nutrition and the dietary restrictions that are found in the Bible. For God had chosen his people, the Hebrew nation, and he was going to give them a special diet, which sounds a little strange to some of us, but they did. They had a different diet. And it was so different from any other nation. Every other nation around, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Chaldeans, everybody, they basically ate similar foods, but not the Hebrew people. No, this was a different type of diet that they're going to get from the other nations. And there have there has been so much written on this in um, in literature, in books and stuff, that it, it almost has flooded the market in the last few years. There are so many things going back to the kosher food requirements. And so if you want to get a book on it or whatever, you can. They're very easy. Go to a Barnes and Noble. You're going to find a lot written on this. Um, so there's, there's so many dietary rules that came from the Old Covenant, uh, Old Testament, or the Tanakh, as the Jewish... Um, people would call what we call the Old Covenant. Um, and God specifically told Moses, when he pulled the Israelites out of the land of Egypt at the Exodus, he took them to Mount Sinai out in the middle of nowhere to be alone with him. Um, and there he gave them specific laws concerning nourishment. And it was so different than what everything else they had been eating and what other nations were eating. They got a very peculiar uh, specific diet, a peculiar diet, which makes them sort of a peculiar people. As a matter of fact, that's not an insult in um, being a peculiar people. Uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 in the King James Version, uh, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. A peculiar people. Says it right there. They are peculiar. And that's that's not an insult. It's The Jews are a peculiar people compared to other nations. They are. 
And as I say, I have, uh, this is not derogatory, I have great respect for Jews. Um, I have friends that are Jews. I, I have great respect for them. I mean, I, I worship a, a Jew. Jesus was Jewish. So I don't have any problem with the Jews. And, and one way that they are so peculiar is due to their diet alone. Their diet is so different on what they can and what they can't eat. This alone has become one of the most defining items uh, about the Hebrew people. This kosher food or clean foods. And it is a staple part of being actually Jewish. For instance, if you live anywhere around a Jewish community, a trip to a, or if you come with me uh, to Israel, or if you've been to trips on Israel and you go there, um, you see that the dietary uh, menus that they have in these restaurants are a little, a little bit different than what you find in mainstream United States. As I've led trips to Israel, I've encountered questions while we've been there. People have asked when we've gone to different places, you know, why, are, why is this like this? Like even the table settings, the table, the pots, the pans, uh, the eating utensils are sometimes different than from breakfast to, to evening. Um, or if I take people, <laughs> I love to do this, uh, go buy a McDonald's or something in Israel. And you go in there, you cannot get a cheeseburger in at McDonald's in Israel. You just can't do it. Why? Because according to their law, uh, they are prohibited from putting, uh, combining meat and dairy together. They can't use the same pots to cook them or anything. They got to use separate ones. Everything is so specific and so distinct. And uh, this law dates back now. These, this whole idea of the, of the Hebrew Bible with this, uh, this mosaic health code, this nutrition, dates back to 1450 BC. That's 3,400 years ago. And what is amazing is, this dietary system is very accurate even today. Modern science constantly keeps showing through studies, which I'll be showing you, uh, studies how accurate this system was. Though it was totally contrary to everybody else, contrary to the science of the day, it is very accurate and it is still enforced by Jews today. The Jewish people still keep these. Now, first of all, to understand this, let's understand the foods of the ancient world. Um, what did they eat in the ancient world? Well, they ate basically the same things we eat today, uh, with the exception of the processed foods we have. They ate meat, they ate fruit, uh, they would eat vegetables, sweeteners, they would have, they ate dairy, they had drinks, beverages and stuff. Um, and a lot of these are all part of the culinary items that you would find in basically any nation. And since the Israelites were coming out of ancient Egypt, I think to really get a good grasp of this, let's take a look at what the the ancient Egyptians actually ate. What was their diets? And we know this, we can figure this out because of archeology. span We can study uh, archeology span and find out what the Egyptians were actually eating because they recorded stuff like this. And we actually have this from a lot of ancient cultures. But since we're, the Hebrew people were coming out of Egypt during the Exodus, let's see what they were doing. Now, first of all, the Egyptians were primarily farmers in general. They did not keep cattle or sheep. That was not their big, their big agricultural use of their land. They utilized the Nile, the Nile River, and, uh, which would flood its banks every year. And they used this, uh, this process to grow grains, good grains. The Nile was so important to them that it was worshiped as a god. Every year, uh, from June to October, the Nile would flood this freshwater system would flood from Central Africa and coming up and it would spill into the Mediterranean Sea. But as it did this, it carried nutrients and mineral-rich silt. 
which covered over the land, over the delta soils. And by doing this, it replaced the soil nutrients yearly. So they didn't have to do crop rotations or stuff uh, like we would do today. Uh, we didn't have to add a lot of fertilizers and things because the delta flooding here from the Nile provided new nutrients to the soil. Having such rich soil allowed them to grow a good variety of foods. Some of the foods that we know that they ate, they ate wheat. Barley was common, beans, leeks, onions, rice, cucumbers, potatoes, melons. They ate all sorts of stuff like this. For drinks, believe it or not, beer was the standard drink of the ancient Egyptians. It almost makes me wonder if the you know, Egyptians settled into Wisconsin. But anyway, they, uh, it was the standard drink was, was, um, was beer. And why? It, it was considered the, actually the drink of the gods. Uh, in ancient Egypt, but it was the standard drink. Think about this. What is beer? Beer is actually um, a tea made from hops and barley, and then they let it ferment. And hops and barley, that's agricultural stuff that they grew there, so that's why beer was so so abundant, and that was what they produced. Uh, they had abundance of grain, so beer was very popular in the ancient times. Matter of fact, archaeology has actually found throughout the Middle East and many places, places where uh, breweries that they used to have. Now, the Canaanites and other cultures around them, the Amalekites, the um, Philistines, et cetera, et cetera, they, they ate different foods than what the Egyptians did. Um, they ate primarily, Philistines in particular, loved pork. They loved, you know, I guess they loved bacon. They loved pork, maybe spare ribs, um, pork chops, whatever, pork roast. They ate a lot of pork. We know this from, again, archaeology. In their cities, you see the bones, which can be traced back to being pig bones, and they were eating this. Now, this was forbidden to the Israelites. God took this out of their diet. You're not eating pork. So why was God so particular about the foods, the food regime of the Israelites? Here's the reason. Really simple. God chose these people, and he wanted his people, his chosen people, to be the healthiest and to be sanctified, set apart from the common world. They were his chosen people. And because of this, the food of the Hebrews was very different. And in this lesson, we will now attempt to cover, uh, <laughs> there's so much to cover. We're gonna try and cover just a few of the major food group items that they had and explain why God placed these restrictions on these people, on their food diet, because it's really interesting. Again, we're, we will learn that this ancient healthy food or, or healthy um, health code that was developed here with its dietary restrictions, it's still, to this day, one of the best diets a person can consume to obtain good health and remain in good health. That's why there's so many books today written on this. It, I mean, it absolutely boggles the mind of experts today because this dietary system was put in place 3,400 years ago in 1450 BC. And modern science, modern chemistry, nutrition and stuff shows even to this day, this system, this unique system was perfect. And it still is to this day. It's a perfect system for nutrition. Considering what everybody else was eating, it's so unique, but it is so healthy. Now, let's start. The way we're going to do this is we're going to go through different categories. We'll take one category and then another category. We'll look at the Bible passages, describing it briefly. Um, we're not going to go through all the Bible passages. Like I say, th this, this could go on for weeks. We could do this series. Matter of fact, a good Bible study is take this as a base lesson, get with a small group of people, and just study the Mosaic Health Code or even just the nutritional part. Um, the nutrition 
of the kosher foods and, and why they're so important. It'll, it'll blow your mind how healthy this is. So we'll take each one, I'll give you a subtopic for it, then we'll give you the passage referring to it, and then we'll talk about the science behind it. So we'll start off with meat. Meat, very common food. Um, a lot of people like to eat meat. I love steak, <clears throat> one of my favorite things, a good porter, porterhouse or a good filet mignon or a T-bone. I just love that. Anyway, in concerning meats, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 4 through 8. And it reads this way. Again, I'm doing this primarily out of the English Standard Version, a word-for-word -word translation. So here we go. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, 4 through 8. And these are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer the gazelle, the roebuck, and the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among these animals you may eat. Now, this is also uh, continues by saying, giving you more information. It says, yet of those that chew the cud, or have the cloven hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but they do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. That's how specific God got on this. Now, if we move a little bit further uh, towards the beginning of the Torah, the beginning of the Bible here, we get to the book of Leviticus in Leviticus chapter 11. We, starting at verse 3 and going through 8, we're going to see we're going to come across pretty much the same thing. But this is what it says. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean for you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall not touch their carcass. They are unclean to you. So there's your description. And even giving specific description of certain types of animals. So let's review now. What is kosher? What is clean uh, of the mammals to eat? The list included, if you recall, it had ox. It had sheep. There were goats, deer, and ruminants like, like cattle. Now, if you study the anatomy and physiology of such animals compared to the others, um, you're going to see some remarkable differences between what is kosher and what is not. For instance, the saliva of these animals that are clean is alkali. Most of their animals, it's slightly acidic. These have alkali. That's one thing. These are grazers also. Many of them have four stomachs to digest the vegetation that they consume. These are herbivores. They eat vegetation. Also, a fantastic study that I remember doing in zoology course was studying the length of the intestines of an organism compared to its body length and getting a ratio. And this is amazing with these kosher animals because the intestines average a length that is almost 30 times their body length. You don't see this in other ones. 
Um, but these herbivores have this. It's a very, very long digestive system for breaking down grains and stuff. Um, now, also what you find about these specific animals, they are protein factories that helps us consume. When we eat them, we consume essential amino acids. These are amino acids we have to get. Um, we don't make them. We have to obtain these type of amino acids, which are parts of proteins broken down. And we must consume these, these essential amino acids for good health. These, these animals provide it for us when we eat them. They're also very, very lean if they're kept healthy. These animals are very lean. Some of these creatures, for instance, a, a bison would fit into this. Um, it's, it's a grazer like this. And, and a bison, um, if you've ever taken bison steak or something like that, you're going to notice it's extremely lean. And to fry it in a skillet, you have to add fat or oil to it because it is so lean without it. So some of these, you have to, to, to cook them up, um, you have to actually add fat and oil to it um, because they're so lean. But one of the most amazing things to me is about their design is this. These animals perspire over all their entire body. They have sweat glands everywhere. We, humans, we have sweat glands all over our bodies. Why are sweat glands so important? What does this have to do with the nutrition? You see, sweat glands help us to purge metabolic waste that we have in our bodies. Our bodies are chemical factories. And we're constantly, and all these animals too, they're constantly doing chemical reactions. By doing chemical reactions, you produce byproducts, what we call commonly metabolic waste. And you got to do something with the metabolic waste. In our case, we have a urinary system that eliminates part of it, but we have sweat glands that do it. Sweat glands are important for purging the body of metabolic waste and also certain toxins. And when they are raised properly, when these kosher animals are raised po uh, properly and in good health, they possess very, very few parasites um, and very few toxins that could actually harm us. Now, you're going to see the, the unclean animals are not like this whatsoever. So how did God, you know, well, how did Moses write this down? He got this obviously from God. The unclean animals, the Israelites were forbidden from eating or in even touching included rabbits, horses, camels, bears, squirrels, possums, cats, dogs, foxes, rodents, and swine. <laughs> These types of animals were not designed for human consumption. According to God, they're not designed for human consumption. Uh, the most notable of these is swine. Not saying you can't eat it, that it would kill you. I grew up eating squirrel, and at times we would eat even raccoon. My dad would, would hunt those kind of things and, and, and stuff. But, um, and rabbits were very common. But nope, they're not really made for human consumption when you consider the other type of animal. But swine, oh, they're different. They're so unique as being um, something you probably shouldn't eat. Anyway, if anybody who takes a class in parasitology will seldom ever consume pork outside of the United States. You go outside of the United States, just a piece of advice, don't eat the pork. Um, because the pork is often a host for many types of diseases. Pigs are filthy animals. A pig is a filthy beast. They're prone particularly to a parasitic worm known as the trichina worm. Now this is a microscopic worm um, that you can't see with the naked eye. You have to use a microscope to see this. And you, these things can get inside a human. You eat pork that has trichina worms, and if it's not cooked right, you get the trichina worm inside of you. So the manual inspection of pork 
can in no way eliminate this parasite from the grocery store. In other words, even here in the United States, I'm saying, you can find pork, if you examine it with a microscope, you can still find pork with trichina worms in it. And that's sort of unappetizing, but that's why God would say, don't eat the stuff. For instance, let me give you a quote out of a Reader's Digest issue back in March 1950 about this. A Dr. Laird uh, Goldsboro, sorry, it took me a while to get that one out. Dr. Goldsboro, he wrote this in the March 1950 issue of Reader's Digest, quote, In the flesh of a pig, the trichina worm are often so minute and so nearly transparent that to find them, even with a microscope, is a task for expert scientific inspectors. He goes on, remember this, when you see stamped on a pork product the words U.S. government inspected and passed, stamped, those words do not mean any official inspection whatever has been made to whether the pork has trichinosis or not. Mm -hmm. It has merely passed the general routine inspection given meat in general, unquote. So what does that mean? Am I eating, when I eat pork, I'm eating trichina worms? Very possibly. Matter of fact, the New York, I didn't even know this existed until about 20 years ago, the New York Trichinosis Commission, yes, there is such an organization, even states that physicians have misdiagnosed many ailments that people get, including alcoholism and typhoid, which were, in, in, in fact, cases of people having trichinosis. Sometimes people go in with arm pain or leg pain or low back pain. Uh, they're diagnosed with arthritis or rheumatism. Actually, according to the New York Trichinosis Commission, sometimes this is the disease trichinosis. Isn't that wild? The infection of these worms. I remember back when I was in college, uh, there was a zoology course where the professor stated that about 15% of the United States population is said to be infected, but most of them are asymptomatic. But we have trichinosis. How about that? I mean, that's a very interesting fact that about these worms. And the thing is, once you get, if I freak you out at this point, once you get trichinosis, this is where it gets worse, you get it for life. It never leaves you. Because what it will do is it will burrow into muscle tissue and encapsulate itself in a little like cocoon thing, and there it remains forever. Uh, until you die or whatever. That's what this worm does. And uh, the thing is, you can't see it with the naked eye. So that's a pretty good reason not to eat pork. Matter of fact, in parasitology courses, I know people that in these courses that just totally, that's it, I'm never eating pork again. And in total honesty, there have been times when I have sat and studied this that then I'm sitting down, my wife prepares like a ham dinner, and I'm like, uh, oh, this is nice. We're having ham. <laughs> we, just, we just had this the other day, and we're like, oh, um, we're having ham. How nice. Uh, as a matter of fact, last night for supper, we had ham here at our house. And I'm sitting here not saying anything to my wife um, or Charlotte, who um, was, was here last night, and, and saying, like, oh, I don't want to eat this. Let's eat ham. So um, I, mean, I just this is what goes through my mind. So, but I'm being polite. You know, I'm not going to say to my wife, hey, what are you trying to do? Feed me worms. You know, Anyway, another reason that pigs are not unclean or kosher. <laughs> if you know anybody who's a pig farmer, they can tell you. Pigs will eat anything. They eat anything from grain to decaying putrefied animal flesh. <laughs> Gee, do you know that pigs will even eat feces of other animals and their own feces as a food source? 
Wow, makes you want to go out and get a pork, pork chop right now, doesn't it? In short, swine are scavengers. And what's worse, I, know this, I keep going down a cascade of worse to worse. Um, it even gets worse because they, they retain the toxins in their flesh, in their meat. You see, pigs do not possess sweat glands in their skin. Thus, they can't eliminate all their metabolic wastes. So what happens to the waste of the toxins? Well, it remains in their flesh. And then we put it on a grill and we cook it, or we put it in a pot and boil it, or put it in the oven and cook it thing. Um, in short, these animals, these pigs in particular, have a very, very poorly designed organs of elimination. God never intended for us really to eat these is what it comes down to, and that's what he's saying in here. It's not the best thing for you to eat. So, so why do people raise pigs? Why do we have pig farmers? Well, one very popular reason is they are very profitable to raise. Not only do they eat almost anything, I mean, if you raise horses or some other type of animals, you have to buy a lot more uh, specific foods sometime to keep them healthy. Pigs, just feed them anything. So that's one thing. Also, when they get butchered, everything is used in a pig. Everything. Everything from their snout to their ears to their feet, everything is used. You want to try something sort of fun? Huh. Actually, it's probably not real fun. <laughs> but you want to try something? Take a tour sometime. If you have one near you, a hot dog plant using making pork hot dogs, see if you can get a tour of the plant and watch the hot, hot dogs being made. How they take the pig and they grind it up and everything, and they use everything of the pig. Um, even sausage links, when you buy sausage links, what's that? That's the intestines, the, the linkage, the casing, that's intestines of a pig. I mean, we use everything in the pig. They put it all in there, and that's what a hot dog is. That's why I much prefer to eat beef hot dogs, but anyway, hot dogs in general are not that healthy for you. Anyway, it's a processed food and stuff. So I've been asked, though, over the years, why in the world did God use cloven feet as an indicator? Do you remember the passages that we read? It talks a lot about cloven feet. So why does God use cloven feet um, as an indicator for a mammal if it can be clean or unclean? Actually, there's a great scientific reason for this. I mean, wow, how science keeps showing this. This is amazing. If the animal does not have cloven feet, cloven feet, and they have toes, like for instance, we do, parasites have a very easy access into our body. The webbing in between the, our toes is very thin skin. In the southern part of the United States, or in the Caribbean, people know this. You walk around barefoot in puddles and stuff, you're more prone to get another type of worm called hookworm. What it does is it comes up and your skin's very thin there, and they can burrow right into your flesh and then get into your bloodstream. Um, so if you have cloven feet, the feet are much better protected from not only this, but from injury, besides the parasites, from injury. And these parasites will have a harder time trying to pass that barrier of the hoof, of this cloven hoof. They have a harder time trying to get into the animal. You see, God designed things really well in the way that he did all this. It's fascinating. Well, by eating clean animals, the Israelites were healthier than their neighboring countries. They were. Um, and part of it is they had better nutrition, much better nutrition. And having a lower percentage of developing and harboring parasites, well, that's a good thing too. The thing is, this was all written in 1450 BC, when the whole world was eating all sorts of garbage, the Israelites were given a specific diet. Isn't that fascinating that God specifically put, takes these people 
and gives them a specific diet that is even true with modern science today supporting this. It baffles the mind. Let's go to another one. Let's go to a different category of food. Let's go to seafood. Oh, I love seafood. Um, this sort of makes me sad. Um, but in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, let's read what God says about eating seafood. And he says this, Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. Wow, that's pretty succinct. Oh, let's take a look at Leviticus. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 9 through 12. We get a little bit more information. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the water is detestable to you. Hmm. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not uh, you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Oh, boy, most of the things at Red Lobster just went off the menu. You see, I love seafood. Um, in fact, some of my favorite foods in the whole world. You know how people will ask you, what's your favorite, top five favorite foods or whatever? Well, some of my absolute favorite foods, conch. Most people have no idea what a conch is. This is a conch. Beautiful little animal here. My cute little uh, strombus gigas, queen conch, down in the Bahamas, staple food item. I love these things. And, oh, I love conch. Uh, other things are like, you know, scallops, lobster. Lobster is one of my favorites. Shrimp and a fish, grouper, hogfish. Oh my gosh, these, these things just make my salivary glands begin secreting. I just, oh, like even right now, I'm almost slobbering just thinking about these things. The problem is these things are great to eat, but they're not beneficial to us. Um, yeah, some are, some aren't. Some are very good for us. Some are terrible for us. God did allow the Israelites to consume scaled fish with fins. Those are going to be good ones. But that was about all. What's interesting is that the science behind this, what modern science has found out about this, why God did this, because there's, there's good reasons to support this system. So let's examine the seafood, because there's so many different categories of it. Let's take seafood uh, by group by group and take a look and see what is good and what's bad. And why is it like that? First of all, let's talk about mollusks. Mollusks like octopus, clams, oyster, squid, conch. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I've to be honest, I've consumed conch in about every way possible. I have eaten it raw. I have got up in the morning while on a boat in the Bahamas, much younger days, and just jumped over the side because there's conchs on the seabed below, dive down, get a couple of conchs, bring them up, and crack them open and pull the animal out gut the thing, skin it, see its white flesh, and then take like a key lime or um, a sour orange or something and just rub on that and just start eating the thing raw. I've done that many times. It's delicious. I love it. Um, they put it in raw in salads and stuff. Or another way I love to eat it is deep fried. We call that um, cracked conch when it's like that. Raw, they call it scorched conch. Deep fried, they call it cracked conch down in the Bahamas. And so cracked conch, I love that. And uh, actually, it's not the safest food to eat. 
to be honest, one time I was eating this in a restaurant, I swallowed, these guys make pearls, and I swallowed a conch pearl and choked on it, almost died, um, by eating a conch pearl. Most expensive meal I ever ate in my life, because um, those things go for thousands of dollars. But going back, these animals, these mollusks, are scavengers of the seas, or filters of the water, the water filter system. Would anybody really like to take a water, a, a filter out of an aquarium, um, a, any type of an aquarium, after it's been sitting there for a while, a couple of weeks, take it out and start licking and eating that? No, it's gross. But <laughs> we do that with oysters and scallops and clams and mussels. And that's what they are. They're the filters that consume the wastes of other aquatic creatures in the ocean. Fish pee in the ocean. Fish make doo-doo in the ocean. What filters it out? These mollusks that we like to eat. And when we eat these, for instance, like an oyster or a clam, we consume its digestive organs and the feces that it's been eating and it has as well. You ever eat oysters in the half shell? You just don't eat the foot, you eat the whole thing. I mean, yuck, think about this. You're, you're eating the feces of the animal, the intestines of the animal. So God says, no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this is not good for any standard. This was forbidden for the Israelites to do and consume these type of creatures. Because any toxin they've been filtering out, they've got. And people have died from eating oysters and clams and stuff from water that was contaminated and polluted. It does happen every year. Let's talk about crustaceans. Crustaceans. Oh, oh, spiny lobster. Oh, um, or those of you who are more into the, like the, the main mod lobsters and stuff like this, shrimp uh, or crab, blue crab. Oh, oh. Yeah, these lobsters and stuff, these are called the cockroaches of the sea for a good reason. Uh, I, I, I must admit, though, I do love to eat them. I do. Um, but God forbade the Israelites from eating these creatures. Now, why? Actually, the science behind this is just amazing. The biology and the physiology here is amazing. And, and consider, don't forget, God put this plan together 1450 BC, before the age of microbiology books ever came out, before anything like that, um, before we had toxicology as a science, before we had refrigeration, God comes up with this remarkable plan telling his people, don't eat crustaceans. Don't eat them. Mm -mm. Why? Well, let's get into it. You see, when a crustacean dies, like this lobster here, when a crustacean dies, its flesh begins to spoil extremely fast. This is due for a couple of reasons. One, the bacteria that they've been consuming is eating poop and everything along the bottom and all sorts of other things, dead animals and stuff. The bacterial decomposition that's in there is part of it, but there's also something else. The digestive enzymes these creatures produce. Um, decapods, like crabs and stuff, they do this also. In these type of a creature, there is a large digestive organ that sits up here in the cephalothorax region of the animal. If you've ever dissected or cut open a lobster, you see this very, very large gland. It's a huge gland in the area around in here, right where the meat is, because this is the part we love to eat is the tail. But this large part right here, there is a large gland called the hepatopancreas. Commonly in lowercase biology courses, we just call it the digestive gland. It's the largest digestive organ of these creatures. And it is important not only for digestion, science has found out that it's also um, important for metabolism and also their immune system. So it helps to break down the foods they consume, but it also has other functions to it. Huge organ, sort of yellowish usually when you cut a fresh one open. Now this organ sits 
right next to where the meat is that we like to consume. There's direct contact. That organ actually touches the meat and that we love to eat. And there's where we're going to see where the problem comes. You see, when, when death occurs, when the, absol uh, the animal here, the lobster, dies, almost instantly upon death, this organ underneath this shell starts to secrete digestive enzymes. It just starts pumping them out. It just goes diffusing out. There's a high concentration. They just diffuse out. And other compounds also, other digestive enzymes they produce. But this in particular starts to, to break, uh, starts to send out these enzymes, which then, as I said, has contact with the meat that we love to eat. This causes a rapid cascade of spoilage to the muscle and the surrounding tissues. Now, when this happens, bacteria feeding on this, you just have an, a, a population explosion of bacteria. And it starts consuming also the moist meat. Remember, there's a digestive tract, an intestine that runs through this thing. And the stuff starts just breaking down all through the tail. And very, in a very, very short period of time, the meat spoils. Today, this is prevented because we, on these ships that go out and collect this stuff, they collect these and they dump them alive right into the freezers. Super cold, sub-zero temperature freezers, and they freeze them almost instantly. By doing this, the whole system is frozen. So today, because of refrigeration, um, this isn't so much of a health concern as we have today. Also, there are restaurants that you can go to. Um, I've been to many restaurants that have an aquarium in the front where they have live lobsters. And you get to go up and you can pick out live lobsters, or I've even seen some with blue crabs in them. And you can pick out the animal you want. Now, think about this for a second when you do that. Well, wow, it's a fresh animal. Yeah, but it's been living for a, who knows how long inside of this aquarium where they you don't really have aquarium keepers too much, but um, it's got filthy water. Their feces are floating around in it. Their urine is floating around. There's all sorts of stuff, and you know, it, they're living in this. And then we eat the thing. I know it's so appetizing, isn't it? But that's what we have today. Now, the thing is, they didn't have refrigeration back then. So how did Moses know in ancient times these are not a safe thing to eat? How did he know that crustaceans were a forbidden food and could make them sick? Uh, and even kill them? God knew. You see, God designed. He created these creatures and designed them. So he knew how their systems work. And he says to Moses, write this down. You don't eat these guys. They're scavengers. They eat constant garbage and stuff like this. Their digestive tracts are often filled just full of bacteria and detestable things. Moses, you don't let the people eat these. Let's go to another category, fish. Oh, there's two types of fish that were described in the Mosaic Health Code, if you recall. Uh, if it had fins and scales, it was kosher. If it, if it didn't, it was forbidden. Pretty simple. And by the way, did you notice in this, sharks are not um, allowed to be eaten. Sharks were forbidden. Because sharks do not have true scales. They have little teeth-like um, scale-like structures that go their entire body, which are actually, it's called denticle. It's more closely related to teeth, small teeth covering their bodies. So they don't have this that you see in bony fish. In cartilage fish like sharks and rays, this is what they have. Other fish that were forbidden were things like catfish. I know a lot of people love to eat those. My father loved eating catfish. I had a lot of catfish as a kid growing up. Uh, sturgeon, pufferfish, eels. Even in French cuisine when I was studying cooking, we, we ate eels and stuff. It's very popular, eel on toast and stuff. But why are these forbidden? Why these... Uh, forbidden fish, why aren't we allowed to eat these? Because these are fish that eat dead and rotting animals. That's part of their diet. 
My dad one time caught a catfish. We were out fishing using earthworms, um, night crawlers. My dad actually took, we ran out of bait. The catfish were biting so much in this little uh, stream we were fishing in, little creek. He was smoking a cigar. He took his cigar butt, put it on the hook, threw it out there. Believe it or not, he caught a couple of catfish off that, that thing. He pulls it up. Here's the catfish with a cigar in his mouth. I always thought that was the funniest thing. But they'll eat anything. So because they're scavengers that eat all sorts of stuff, they're very high in toxins. God knew this, so he tells Moses, don't eat those. Sharks are also forbidden for another reason as well, not just because of the, of the scale thing, but their flesh. Now, I know some people, I'm stepping on some toes here, some people love shark. I don't really care for it. But their blood and their flesh and the organs they contain are, uh, contain also a chemical called urea. They don't have sweat glands, and so metabolic waste in the form of urea is made, and it goes into their blood, and it is deposited into the flesh and other organs. Another chemical that they make is trimethylalamine oxide. Commonly, it's abbreviated TMAO. That is not a good chemical either, and sharks are full of this. Uh, it's a metabolic waste, and it's not pleasant. It's not a, neither one of these are a pleasant chemical to taste and to eat. Matter of fact, TMOA or TMAO actually very quickly breaks in, down to, in, into ammonia, a form of ammonia, when the shark is dead. Personally, as I said, I don't like shark. Um, I've tried it. I've eaten shark at times. I'm not crazy about it. Uh, shark meat, uh, shark steaks and stuff has a very unpleasant, fishy, and to me, I can always taste like a trace of ammonia in it. There's just something about the flavor of it I just don't like. Having urea in it and having... Um, ammonia breaking down uh, and forming into it. No, that's not my, my cup of tea. I just don't really care for that kind of stuff. I mean, urea is a great food product. Bacteria love it. When I used to teach microbiology, we used to grow certain cultures of bacteria in culture tubes just full of urea. Bacteria love urea. And because of that, it's, it, urea is used in a lot of things. They put it in cosmetics. It's in lipstick and stuff like this. And actually, I know it sounds gross, but when you put on lipstick or whatever, um, bacteria just love that stuff, and they're just consuming it like crazy. So nothing like smearing a bacterial culture across your lips and then kissing someone. Uh, kissing is sort of a, an exchange of bacterial um, cultures. Um, there's been a lot of studies done on that, on when someone kisses someone, how many thousands of bacteria they're exchanging. Oh, boy, that's fun. But that's, I'm on a rabbit trail. Let's get off that. <laughs> anyway, other finned fish and scaled fish that are acceptable, acceptable to eat are such animals like cod, mm, bass, perch, tuna, bluegill, salmon, trout, halibut, smelt, all of these. These are good ones. Matter of fact, many of these are extremely high in omega-3 fatty acids. If you watch infomercials on TV, you're going to see commercials for omega-3 fatty acids. We know that it's good for us. Why? I don't have time to go into, but it is a good thing for us to make us healthy. These things are good. Also, fish like that we just mentioned are very high in protein. They're very high in vitamins and minerals. This is a good food source. Uh, and so that we know that the Jews um, around the Sea of Galilee ate tilapia because it grows in the Sea of Galilee. And so that's a good fish. It has scales and it has fins. Also, when you study the anatomy, on one of my marine biology trips years ago, I had a student, a research student, come along, and he did an actual project catching fish. He loved the fish. He caught a lot of fish. He measured the length of the fish. Then he dissected them. And in the dissection, he took out what they were eating so he could see what their foods were. But also he took out the entire digestive tract and he measured it in length to the length of the fish. 
These type of fish have a very, very long digestive system, which allows more toxins to be um, uh, eliminated and um, the better breakdown of the food. So it's, it's a much better system. The longer the system, the less amount of toxins, the more nutrients and stuff that's gonna be absorbed and put and transferred into the meat. Also, their digestive system is encased. When you cut open a fish, I'm sure most of you have, you cut open a fish, as you gut a fish, like a bass or whatever, you notice that the internal organs are sitting inside of a cavity called a coelom, and it's membrane encased. It is kept separate from the meat of that we like to eat, the fillets and stuff. It does not have contact, direct contact with the digestive system, unlike the other animals we've talked about that are unclean, that have that. So this membrane separates the digestive system from the muscles, thus slows spoilage. How did they know this? I mean, Moses, think about this. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. So he was educated at Pharaoh University, went to Pharaoh High School. They didn't teach that kind of stuff there. They were eating all sorts of garbage. Moses goes out into the desert and is told by God, hey, you guys are going to have a totally new way of eating. Here's your menu. And where did this come from? Moses couldn't have made it up on his own. It had to come from God. Isn't it interesting how God designed these fish and, and, and then separated those that are dangerous to human health and, from clean fish? And all this was written before modern science even began to understand it. And you should always cook the fish because cooking fish uh, or drying it, salting and drying it, you have to cook it because fish do have, uh, even freshwater fish, they have parasites in them. So you don't eat it raw. The, the Jews would not eat generally raw fish. They would cook it. I know today sushi is very, very popular, and I have so many horror stories from parasitology about eating sushi and being the worms that you eat in the fish being transferred to the person. Um, yeah, it's, you want to cook the stuff. I mean, yeah, it's still in there, but now it's dead and you just sort of digest it. So good fish, good to eat, very good for us. Let's go to another category of food. We have poultry. Now, poultry, hmm, this is an interesting category in the way that God describes this in the Bible. He does it a little different. Most animals that can and cannot be used for food are simply distinguishable by some type of classification system God gives them, like the hoof thing and, and things like this. Now, poultry is not like that. There is simply a list of what is clean and what is not found in the Mosaic Health Code. So let's see what God told Moses to write down concerning uh, these type of animals, birds, as a source of food, these flying animals. Going to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 11 through 18, it says this, you may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the cormorant, the stork, the heron, and any kind of hoopoe, and the bat. Now, we're going to see in another place, back in Leviticus chapter 11, where we're getting the mosaic um, menu, it reads this. In chapter 11, verses 13 through 19, And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little 
owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. So there's our list. Now, before I move any further, because I know there's probably somebody saying there's a science error in the Bible here in both these two passages. Um, and when I speak at places, universities, or schools, or even churches, this has happened, people have come up to me and said, well, there's a science error in the Bible. And they point to one of these two chapters um, and these two passages, because they say the last animal mentioned about all these birds is a bat. And as most people realize, bats are not birds, they're mammals. Thus, it appears to the layman that God has made a mistake. Well, whenever, here's a little Bible study tip. Whenever you come across something like this, in Scripture that seems this blatant. As you read your Bible, go back to the original language. Remember, this was not written originally in English. This was written in ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek, and a couple of places of the Old Testament, Daniel and uh, Ezra, are written in Chaldean. Go back and look at the original language and see what it is. You're going to find out in all these cases, it's not God making an error. It's an error as we try and translate from these ancient languages into English. That's what's happening here. So the word is in both these things. It says in most translations, it will say, these are the birds. But that's not an accurate transliteration of the Hebrew word that's being used here. Take a look at the book of Leviticus first, where it says the birds. Now, if you go back, if you have an interlinear Bible, you can buy interlinear Bibles. You can actually download them online. Um, interlinear Bibles are very interesting because they possess um, the ancient languages and stuff like this. And so you can study that like that. Now, if you do this, you're going to see the word for bird here is the word oath in Hebrew. Oath means, are you ready? Flying animal. Thus, the accurate transliteration here is God saying, these are the flying animals, not necessarily birds. As we translate it in English, people see flying animal. Oh, they just put bird in here. So that's how it's done. Um, and why it's like that. They use a modern classification system that we have developed, uh, mankind has developed, and that's why they do this. But it's a flying animal. Are not bats a flying animal? Go to the one in Deuteronomy. Actually, it's a different word in Deuteronomy. It's the word zippor. Zippor is also a word that people often will just translate bird. But let me even take you to the, the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. Uh, and let me quote directly from that what it says concerning this having to do with Deuteronomy. Quote, the Hebrew term tzibor can refer to a bird or winged creature. In this list, as it appears to include bats, while insects are put in their own list next, Hebrew terminology seems to have focused on the mode of the movement or the environment rather than our modern zoological uh, taxo uh, taxonomies, unquote. Now, that is actually a direct quote out of the Net Bible notes. But, and I also have the um, Hebrew Aramaic uh, lexicon of the Old Testament, and it says that. But um, that direct quote comes right out of the Net Bible. If you buy a Net Bible or if you go to it online with the study notes, you can see that that's what that is clearing up. So that clears up. It's not a science error. It's a translation error. God, in what he gave, was absolutely correct. In the ancient Hebrew, it's when we translate things uh, into English, it's sometimes we get things sort of messed up. Anyway, the clean birds that were mentioned. Okay, what are clean birds? Well, there's chicken. Yay for KFC. Chicken. There's turkey. Mm. Thanks, me. 
pheasant. Oh, pheasant. Duck. Mm. Yes. Uh, geese. Mm. Quail. Ooh. Pigeon. Mm. Um, grouse. These are clean birds. And you know, some are not these the birds that we use for food today. Yeah, they've been used since ancient times. They have a relatively, again, look at the anatomy. This is why, being a biologist, I love this kind of stuff. Study the size of the animal and the length of its digestive system and what it eats. It's fascinating. They have a very long digestive system, thus contain few toxins in their muscles because the digestive system takes care of a lot of the toxins. Most clean birds, what do these things eat? Grains. They eat grains. By eating grains, you're not eating other animals that carry pathogens and stuff, and, and you're not going to get a lot of natural toxins and things uh, in these birds. So this is actually a pretty safe thing to eat because it doesn't get this um, pathogens and stuff in their flesh. Now, unclean birds that were mentioned, and notice how God gave specific instructions about these birds. These are scavengers, if you notice, or they're predators. Thus, they feed on dead, decaying, rotting flesh or on animals directly. Because of this, they often bioaccumulate toxins and pathogens. Some on this list are natural-born incubators for diseases, for bacterial diseases and viral diseases, also for, ink, uh, for, um, for parasitic and, uh, worms and stuff. There are so many parasites that can be carried um, by birds that eat on this type of a food, dead, decaying, rotting flesh and stuff. Uh, bats, since God even mentions the bats, bats... Uh, little flying mammals have a very, very short digestive system. Very short. And they are known and famous for harboring and incubating many pathogens, including rabies. Even their feces. Being in contact with, rat feces, or with bat feces, people have often got bacterial diseases and stuff. Though they're very useful, bats are useful. Um, they eat mosquitoes. They pollinate certain flowers. They are not healthy to handle, and they are definitely not healthy to eat. So stay away from bad. Now, how did, how did Moses know all this to write this down? Was he a biologist? Is that what he majored in at Pharaoh University? You know, don't think so. The answer is very simple. God, who created everything, knew how he created, knew what happened at the fall, the curse upon the cosmos. And so he set up, when he chose his people, you are going to eat this type of food because you're going to be separate. You're going to be a peculiar people because of your diet. But you are my people. You're going to be sanctified for me. You're going to be a holy people. And this code is still excellent to this day. It amazes skeptics about how accurate it is. Well, let's talk about another thing. And this one's not too pleasant either, but the Bible specifically talks about eating insects. I mean, John the Baptist, he ate insects. Um, locusts and wild honey was his diet. Well, let's talk about those two things. Obviously, it was permissible. If John the Baptist is doing it and he was a prophet, so it's got to be permissible. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 20 through 23, it says this, All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet, among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Mm -hmm. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all the other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Now, isn't that fascinating? Most people in the United States generally don't relish eating insects. It's, you know, I, I know you can get it on pizza in some places. Um, we just generally in this country, we don't like to eat insects. We find a fly in our soup, we go berserk. 
we don't consider, oh, look, extra protein. Um, but that's outside of the United States, it's very common. The rest of the world commonly consumes insects. Um, some of those that are eaten are like mealworms, crickets, grasshoppers. I even did a class when I was working in a camp here in the North Woods. Um, I wrote a class on edible insects and using the insects that are mentioned here, we made them into suckers, uh, fruit flavored suckers with grasshoppers and mealworms and stuff in them. Wow, that was fun. Uh, real popular among the ladies. Anyway, <laughs> you can look on some of this stuff and get more information about this because the world does eat a lot of insects. Matter of fact, according to the, and I'm not making this up, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, they have actually listed on their website the consumption of insects made worldwide and to the percentage. On this list, they say that 31% of all insects eaten in the world are beetles. 18% of all the insects that are eaten are caterpillars. Ooh, let's tickle on the way down. 14% are ants, wasps, and bees. 13% are grasshoppers, crickets, and locusts. That must be the Jews. 10% <laughs> are cicadas. And then the other remaining 14% is made up of termites, flies, dragonflies, damselflies, stuff like that, all sorts of oddballs. Um, now, clean insects, mainly those related to the grasshoppers, it says in the Bible, grasshoppers, locusts, and crickets. You notice that none of these drink blood. These do not possess venoms. They don't have chemicals, generally, that make them taste nasty. I mean, you roast these. You, you cook them on a fire in a skillet or something, or you grind them up and um, use them like as a flour or whatever. It's very high protein. They, they generally, these clean ones, generally do not have many transferable pathogens pathogens or diseases that can be transferred or affect humans when we eat them, when they're roasted. You just don't. Again, it's amazing. How did God put this thing together? I mean, how did, he knew everything. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Moses wrote this 3,400 years ago, and this is so perfect. It's a perfect protein for us today. It really is. Let's talk about dairy real quick. Dairy is mentioned in the Bible. I mean, how many times does the Bible refer to the promised land as a land flowing of milk and honey? Um, milk. Milk and cheese are a large part of the Israel diet, the Israeli diet, the, the, the clean foods, kosher. I mean, they raised sheep. They processed cheese in a form of curds and, and blocks. They made products very similar to yogurt. There, even if you go to Israel today, there are so many different types of cheeses that are there. That's one reason I love to go, is just to eat a lot of the different cheese and stuff. Um, it, it would be redundant at this point to list all of the passages in the Bible, um, and, and even in the Torah, referring to the promised land as a land of milk and honey, because it's there. I'll, I'll give you one just for, for, um, for sake of that, that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So milk is a primary food. Uh, even when Abraham was visited by the Lord back in Genesis, um, and with the, the visitors, Abraham prepared a dairy meal to present for them. It says in Genesis 18, verse 8, it says, And then he took curds and milk and a calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and they stood under the tree while they ate. Mm -hmm. Wow, fascinating. It's so neat how this is all put together. You know, archaeologists have been able to tell us, and scholars teach too, that the Israelites drank milk as one of their most common beverages. Well, they're agriculturally based society with a lot of sheep and stuff and goats and and things so, milk was a common food for them. It was kosher. It's nutritionally abundant. And it still is to this day. Though raw milk has many advantages to some of the processed forms that we find today, 
Um, it contains, raw milk has a very, very high amount of calcium, which is important for us, proteins, and some natural sugars. And also, there are some fats in here. It is so healthy for us that we eat this. Today, scientists tell us that cultured raw milk and products like cottage cheese and curds, buttermilk, butter, yogurt, these are products that you eat for a healthy diet, which is exactly what God said 3,400 years ago. Unlike what science taught you even just a few decades ago, four decades ago, science was telling us when we were having commercials on TV, don't eat butter, don't eat the dairy, it's bad for you, causes heart disease. No, you want to eat oleo, you want to eat margarine, that's what you want, that'll keep you healthy. Science has totally flipped 180 degrees on this because now we're saying don't, don't eat that stuff, that is bad stuff for us. Um, and we've gone back to eating a lot of butter products and, and a lot of dairy. Dairy is good for us. And avoiding dairy, that's not a wise thing. Science has shown us that what is in the Mosaic Health Code is a good way of thinking for your nutrition. An excellent paper on this, by the way, was published in the Calcified Tissue International. Um, the article is from 2016, volume 98. The title of the article, if you want to look it up, is called The Effects of the Dairy Products Consumption on Health, Benefits, and beliefs, the commentary on the Belgian Bone Club and the European Society for Clinical and Economic Aspects of Osteoporosis, Osteoarthritis, and muscular, uh, Musculoskeletal Diseases. Now you see what I read in my spare time. <laughs> but, I mean, there's so much information on this. And matter of fact, I had a student one year when I was teaching uh, human anatomy physiology as we were studying the benefits of breast milk as opposed to cow's milk in this physiology course. And I had a student who, said, who asked questions about this and was very interested in it. She says, this is, this is fascinating. Why don't we do more harvesting of human milk for people? And I said, I don't know. Why don't you do that as a career? Why don't you do that as a project for your life? And actually, that's what she is today. She's a uh, lactation expert and actually heads up an, an organization that does that kind of thing. Fascinating, eh? Let's talk about another thing that's in this diet that's so different. Fats. <laughs> yeah, there's a topic today. Fat. Look what it says in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 22 through 25. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goats. The fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by beasts, may be put to other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat, of an animal, of which a food offering may be made to the Lord, shall be cut off from his people. God is very specific here about not eating animal fat. Now, when I was in college, um, to help um, pay for my way through college, my last two years, I worked in um, as a, a cook for the breakfast, primarily breakfast cook, at the university I was at. And every morning when I would come in, we would start by making bacon, for the university, all the students and stuff and the faculty that would come in, bacon, or we would make sausage links, one or the other. On a rare occasion, we'd offer both, but mostly it was bacon on one day, sausage on the other, and we just flip-flopped it every day. But when we got done with all this, all the grease from the bacon, all the grease from the sausage, we didn't pour away into the, the bins and just dump it in the, uh, the trash bin outside. No, we, we took it all, filtered it through a strainer, and kept it in stainless steel containers. And we used these containers then for greasing pans, Greasing the griddle to fry stuff on. That's what we did. My mom always kept bacon grease and sausage grease 
She never threw that away and always kept it. My wife does the same thing. Uh, the other day we had, um, we ate sausage and at the end of the, uh, of the meal, I went over and I saw one of my favorite coffee mugs full of what I thought at first was tea. And when I picked it up, nope, that's not tea, that's sausage grease. But what happens to it when it gets a little, after it sits at room temperature, bacon and sausage grease turns solid. So using things like this and use of lard and bacon and other animal fats is almost a taboo today for those who want to try and live healthily uh, and have a healthy diet and stuff. And there's reasons for this. I mean, now to discuss thoroughly the subject of fats, this would take me a whole week, give me an hour every week, because that's what I used to have to do in, in anatomy class and, and teaching biochemistry and stuff. It would take a long time to describe fats. So I'm just going to give it to you as succinctly as I can here. Simply put, fats are chemicals, a form of what's called triglycerides. Tri, meaning three, and glyceride is another type of molecule. So three something added to a glyceride. What they are, it's a large, huge molecule in size, and it's composed of long chains. Sort of vision, visualize the capital letter E. You have a backbone, that's like a glycerol molecule, and then you have these long chains that go out, and these are the fatty acids. If you have three of them, it's a triglyceride. And there's different types of fats. Oh my gosh, I'm not even going to get into this. There's, there's saturated fats. There's unsaturated fats. There's, uh, there's polyunsaturated fats. There's monosaturated fats. Oh my gosh, there's so many different types. Um, certain polyunsaturated fats are necessary for us. We, we have to eat them to be healthy. Yes, we do need some fats in our diets to be healthy. And no doubt you have heard that there are some uh, fats that are good for. Some are good fats and some are bad fats. To remove all of the fat from your diet would be detrimental to your health. You don't want to do that. Because almost all fats that come from animals now that are consumed in our food are saturated. Meaning they become solid pretty much. Um, these fats become solid at room temperature. Our bodies, <laughs> by eating this, they actually sort of clog up inside of our bodies. Our bodies can even manufacture fat. If we eat too much sugar, carbohydrates and stuff, we eat too many oils, if we consume too many proteins, our body has the ability, the way that God designed it, is to manufacture fats. We need fat. The problem is we make too much of it. Because if you eat too much of this and you start too many carbohydrates, too many proteins, your body will start converting it into fat and it stores it as fat. And it's to be used later on. There's our problem. Many of us never use it up. It gets stored in a tissue called adipose type of cells, and it gets stuck in these cat, uh, adipose tissue, a connective tissue, and it sort of stays there. And these fats have a tendency to build up even in certain areas of our body, as we all know. Some people, it goes to their hips, some to their waist. It, it goes to different parts of your body, and you store it there, sort of genetically in a way. But the thing is, it also gets into our blood vessels, and it can clog our blood vessels, leading to cardiovascular disease. So these kind of fats, animal fats, those are not the best thing we should be eating. No. Um, another concern about consuming animal fat is the animals store toxins and harmful chemicals in fat cells. We do this too. The fat becomes a reservoir of toxins. Thus, thus if the animal's been eating a lot of bad stuff and for a long, long, long period of time, it bioaccumulates in their adipose tissue and then we cook with it. Wow, how cool is that? Or we spread it on a sandwich and we eat it. This is not a good thing to do. This leads to another problem about animal fats in high amounts. We, we shouldn't do this. But plants, some plants produce really good fats. Um, of course, in Israel, olives, olive oil was a primarily used uh, fat. There's avocados that have good fat and there's oils and stuff that are much better to eat than lard. Lard. <laughs> 
Um, my grandmother used to always cook everything in lard. My mom used to cook sometimes in, in lard and like I say, bacon grease and stuff. Um, it's not the healthiest things, but fats from certain fruits and nuts are actually quite healthy. If eaten in, you ready? Moderation. Mm -hmm, there's the word. And there's been many studies in this area supporting the health benefits of plant-based fats and oils over animal fats. Matter of fact, in one periodical, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, um, this will be volume 107 um, in March. Um, can't remember the year offhand, but um, March 2018, the article is called Monounsaturated Fats from Plants and animal sources in relation to the risk of coronary uh, heart disease among U.S. men and women. You can read a lot about that. And there's other articles like that you can read and pull stuff from. Hey, isn't it amazing that before people knew about cardiovascular disease and other health-related diseases, God gave this command to his people? He commanded his people to stay away from animal fats and not put that as a major part of your diet, not to put it in your diet consume plant fats, so they used olive oil. They used other types of things for fat. Today, many health experts say the same thing that God said 3,400 years ago. And, and talking about sweeteners, we mentioned honey. Uh, let's talk about honey just briefly here. In Genesis chapter 43, verse 11, then their father Israel said to them, if it, is, uh, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man a little uh, balm and a little honey, a little honey. Honey was the major sweetener. That was what was used for sweetening, was honey. It was the most common sweetener in the ancient days, and today it's recently become extremely popular again. Oh my gosh, there are so many branch, uh, or brands of honey. There are so many um, different flavors of honey made from different type of um, flowers, either it be you know cherry or clover or lavender or whatever. There are so many different types that you can buy. It's very, very popular in the U.S. today. People have begun to throw away aspartame, like NutraSweet, um, sucralose, with, uh, Splenda, uh, saccharin, and even sucrose, table sugar, for natural honey. And there's good reasons for this, because honey is a fascinating food. Honey is frequently mentioned in the Bible as part of the Hebrew diet. Mentioned frequently. Natural honey if you break it down, is a valuable source of many B vitamins, like thiamine, riboflavin. You can get biotin, niacin, even some vitamin C, and traces of important minerals that are uh, good for us. Now, honey is got a lot of sugar in it, a lot. Uh, over three quarters of what you eat with honey is just pure sugar. But the sugars that you find, almost half of it, um, well, 40% of it is pure fructose, fruit sugar, and that's a monosaccharide. Um, uh, about 34%, about a third of your honey is pure glucose. And then there's just a trace, about 2% maybe of sucrose, among other things in it. But you see, bees make this and it's pre-digested. And fructose and glucose, because they're what we call monosaccharide sugars, they don't get broken down into others. Sucrose, table sugar, is a disaccharide. It's made up of a fructose and a glucose bonded together. Well, your digestive system needs an enzyme called sucrase to break that apart. And then it can go into the bloodstream. Well, Fructose and glucose, when you swallow it, requires little for the body to do, and it's quickly absorbed into the bloodstream. And it goes right to, uh, into your blood to the cells and stuff. It's often been called the perfect natural food, honey is, because of its nutrient content and also the fact that honey does not spoil. Mm -mm, doesn't spoil. It will turn to crystals. 
but you can warm it up and then it's back to a liquid. God knew what he was making when he gave us this food as a food source. And also in that passage, it says besides honey, this is Genesis uh, 43:11. it says in there at the very end of that verse, talks about eating pistachio nuts and almonds. Well, a lot of people like eating nuts, particularly in this time of year with uh, New Year's and Christmas, we buy lots and lots of nuts and stuff. And nuts are a very good source of fat and oil and minerals and vitamins. They're good for us. Um, in most cases, two are really good for us, two that are mentioned in the Bible, pistachios and almonds. Isn't it interesting, the God of all the nuts he could pick, he talks most about these, pistachio and almonds. And these are two of the most healthiest nuts that people can eat. Let's talk about almonds just briefly for a second. Besides being delicious, and I love almonds, matter of fact, I had a handful of almonds just before starting this lesson today. Almonds uh, help keep us healthy because what they do is they regulate a chemical called dopamine in the brain. Dopamine, hmm, that sounds like a strange name, but dopamine helps your brain to develop and to function properly. It helps to sharpen your memory. Also, dopamine has been shown to help people um, have better moods. It actually can help control your moods. Um, there's a lot of things, too, that they have found out that it actually can help in controlling cholesterol in your body. A great article on this was published in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry back in July 2012. Um, the article is entitled, uh, Health Benefits of Almonds Beyond Cholesterol Reduction. Fascinating article. And what about pistachios? Oh, I love pistachios, probably my favorite nut. Loaded with many unsaturated fatty acids. These are the good ones. It's also, they're loaded with antioxidants. These things, um, Pistachios help us prevent inflammation. Inflammation's a bad thing. You want to read about this? Um, check out the journal called National Product Research, March 2019. There's an article in here called The Health Benefits of Pistachio Consumption. Fascinating article, how pistachios are so good for us, antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. Oh, eat a lot of pistachios. They're good for you. But you know that not all nuts are good for us. There are some that are downright dangerous for us to eat. Some are so harmful to people. Peanuts, for instance, though it's not a true nut, a lot of people just categorize it as a nut, though very popular, are known to cause more allergic reactions in people than any other type of nut. Many people are allergic to it, and we keep seeing more and more people becoming allergic to it. Peanuts also can help trigger inflammation in your body. Uh, and they, and sometimes when you buy the shelled peanuts or you get them in a restaurant, they sometimes have a, a fungi that contains alpha toxin in them, which is not a good thing. Um, they can actually make you very ill. Uh, so you should always be careful about peanuts. Oh, I do like peanuts. I have to be careful because I don't eat them in moderation sometimes, but I do that with almonds. <laughs> I do that with pistachios. But it appears, the whole point is, it appears the Bible is absolutely correct again in dealing with nuts, nut consumption. Almonds, pistachios that are mentioned by God to the people. Eat these. These are the best ones to eat. They're fantastic. Let's talk about blood for a minute. Blood. Ooh, what do you use blood for? Well, this is sort of gro gruesome, but it's fascinating. Again, this is in the health code. In Leviticus chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, it says, Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places, Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. God is specifically saying, you do not consume blood. Now, why did he say this? Why did he put this in there? Because at that time, in the ancient world, it was very common for people to drink blood. They did this um, in ceremonies. They did it for idol worship. 
even the ancient Greeks were very fond of this, uh, and even some Romans um, would do this. They would drink blood, um, and they drank it for a lot of different reasons, not just for their religions and their cults and stuff. They did it for others. In some ancient cultures, what they did is they took blood and mixed it into wine and made a drink for certain ceremonies. So this is what Moses and Israelites were, were living in at the time they came out of Egypt. Blood was commonly consumed. God says, no, you don't do that. Even today it's used in culinary arts. Um, I recall when I was taking cooking lessons and studying French cuisine uh, that we would use on rare occasion, but we did, there were recipes we used where blood was used as a thickener. Now, there's good reasons not to eat blood, not to consume blood whatsoever. Today, science has proved that many parasitic diseases, many of these worms we talked about, are carried in the bloodstream. And there's other ones. Um, malaria and stuff are carried in the bloodstream. Uh, many pathogens are transferred from human uh, to humans from animals just because of the blood. Blood contains also, think about it, metabolic waste. And the metabolic waste is in there, and if you consume it, you're drinking metabolic waste. And it's also, a, it's a host um, for those, uh, uh, these parasites that can be in there, you can get them trans transferred to you. Matter of fact, there was a recent outbreak of E. coli. We always hear about this in the news a couple times a year. There'll be an outbreak of E. coli someplace. There was an outbreak of uh, ground beef, E. coli and ground beef here in the United States. Um, as they investigated this, the CDC and stuff, as they went through investigating this, they found out that it came from ground beef that had traces of blood in it. And beef, having all of its, its proteins and stuff, the bacteria just cultured in it and grew very quickly and contaminated the whole batch. So it all had to be recalled. Uh, besides pathogens and bacterial diseases, you have um, fertilizers that are often found in blood, pesticides that animals will come in contact with, drugs uh, that animals are given, goes through the blood because that's how it's distributed. And there's so many other things that you find in animal blood. God says, no, don't drink this. I find it absolutely amazing that, that in the ancient time when God was giving Moses' health code, blood was a common item that was drank. Yet God specifically says, yeah, everybody else is doing it. You don't. I know better. And that's what it is. How cool that modern culture now tells us, hey, you know something, the Bible was right all along. <laughs> yes, and let's get to the last one here and then we'll be done. Uh, though there's so much more we could do. Uh, let's talk about roadkill for a minute. Roadkill? Isn't that something like off the Beverly Hillbillies? Well, the Mosaic Health Code did not allow the Israelites to eat animals um, that were on the side of the road or whatever. Even if they were clean animals, you find it in the field or whatever, you weren't allowed to eat it. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21, it reads, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your, your towns uh, that he may eat it. <laughs> or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. They weren't allowed to eat roadkill. I've eaten roadkill. I've actually hit some animals inside the road, or I actually saw a car one time hit some animal, um, hit some pheasants, and I took them home and ate them, and even served them to guests. The Israelites were not allowed to do this. If uh, They weren't allowed to be scavengers along the side of the road and pick up dead animals and stuff like this in the field. For one, it's dead. They weren't allowed to touch it because it's already dead, but they weren't allowed to do this. And it makes perfect sense to us today. Though historians and archeologists tell us that the, in the ancient time, this was very common, that they would find animals and they would still cook them up and eat them. It was amazing that the ancient cultures were doing this. God tells them, I know everybody else is doing it. Moses tells people they're not to do this. 
God knew exactly what killed the animal. It could have been bacterial or viral. God knew, but the people don't know this. And bacterial, viral diseases can be transferred to a person, even if they just touch it. Stay away from it. So God gave them very specific orders. Of course, this information was unknown in ancient times, but it even rings true to this day. How science, people will say that science has disproved the Bible. Oh my gosh, the science of nutrition shouts so loudly that the Bible is real. This Mosaic health code is not the... Uh, is not only the first health code, human health code, ever written in history, but it's also perfect even to this day. Obviously, it must have come from a supernatural means, because how could Moses have come up with all this? He was raised with the Egyptians. You would think the health code he's given is going to be Egyptian. It wasn't. As we saw with the medicine lesson before, this food one is totally different too. So, it covers bacterial viral diseases and other problems and parasites that people would encounter in the ancient world. They were unknown of at that time in those time periods. But in modern times, we see how accurate this thing is. It boggles the mind. I believe that nutrition found in the Bible shows more evidence that God exists and that his word is not some man-made literary work than almost anything else you're going to come across. It was given to Moses from a perfect all-knowing God. God's word is true. And this nutrition lesson, wow, shouts it at the top of the lungs. This is amazing. Well, I know this was a long lesson for you, and I hope you've made it through this, and it's fascinating. There's so many other parts of, of nutrition we could discuss. We just don't have time. Like I say, this could be uh, uh, multiple sessions um, many, many long. We just covered a few things in the Mosaic Health Code. But everything that's in the Mosaic Health Code, even the parts we haven't covered, is true. So I hope you'll turn back for uh, as we continue in this series and tell others about it. Um, share this link with others so that they can learn about this fine, um, this fine information and amazing things showing that science and the Bible, they're not combating each other. Modern science keeps waking up to see that the Bible, this ancient book, and in this case, what was written 1450 BC, is true even to this day. It's remarkable. So until we meet again, take care and God bless. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can also check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org or book your own event with Michael. So this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.